Please listen carefully. And now, live from the aquarium in McKinney, Texas, it's the Assuming Positions podcast, featuring two guys napping in a Wookiee's lap, Kevin and Mikey. Hey everybody, welcome to the Assuming Positions podcast, Kevin over here. And Mikey over here. And today we continue the Head of the Helm series. All aboard! And today we're getting into the officer corps. We will be choosing the first officers yes. for our ships. Our second in commands. The second in command, but the first officer. Exactly. So first, what's a first officer? Well, like we said, second in command. It's usually <laughs> someone who is equally capable as your captain. Yep. Maybe a little younger or some other kind of fun story why they're not. Yeah, yet. there's usually some flaw or character arc or narrative yeah. obstacle where they're like, oh, you had this setback, so you are captain material, but we got to dock you a little bit. Yeah, or they're just young. Or young. So, Mikey. Yes, sir. You have a loaded die, a <laughs> coin with the same <laughs> side on it. I do. I have a double-headed coin, so I call heads so I can go first. Yes. We'll flip the coin and surprise, so it's heads. what's your number three pick for first officers for the Star Trek Voyager? First officer on my Star Trek Voyager to serve under the captain that has yet to be named. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, but my third pick, we're going with, with a, a, a Mikey default, which is animation, because animated movies are awesome. Um, we're going back to, I mentioned Atlantis yep, as yep. an animated movie a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And we're going back to that sort of time frame because sci-fi movies blew up once that one blew up. So uh, this one is from Treasure Planet. The Disney remake of Treasure Island, and I am picking the first captain from that ship, which is Mr. Arrow, who is voiced by Roscoe Lee Brown. So I don't know if I've ever seen Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet. It, uh, have you? Uh, you know the story of Treasure Island, yes? Well, yeah, of take, course. I know the story of Treasure Island. Take those pirate ships, make them yeah. float in space, and instead of islands, it's planets, and it's essentially the same story. Wow. That's very interesting, because Disney was, was, when was that? When did that come out? 2002. Really? Yes. Oh, so right wow. at the turn of the century. I was gonna say that sounds that's really closer to now than I thought it would be. That's for Disney. That's kind of bold a little bit, and because yeah. usually they're just like in the fantasy lane for sure. It's Snow White yep. is in Snow White Land. They usually don't do like Snow White in space. Yeah. And usually, if you were gonna tell me Disney is doing a Treasure Island, I would expect it to be Treasure Island pirates He's, and yep. all that kind of sixteen hundreds type they're, vibe. They're, they're good at doing pirates and all that. Uh, what's funny, though, is when I was mentioning Atlantis, I mentioned that was their first foray into sci-fi, 41 movies after the fact of yeah. Disney starting. This is their 43rd movie, Treasure Island, that, or Treasure Planet, that is. But it is funny because the actual idea and story, the directors are the same directors that did Aladdin and Moana and Little Mermaid and all that. And they mm-hmm. actually had the story for Treasure Planet around the time they pitched Little Mermaid in 89. Oh, okay. And it wasn't until yeah. 2002 that Disney said, okay, let's give it a shot. And then, like, what? So We, sci- don't, we don't do sci-fi yeah. here at Disney. It took sci-fi a little bit to catch on, but I'm glad it did because it is awesome. Um, some of the voices in this movie, it was it, it technically was a flop. So it's not surprising <laughs> that you don't know too many about too much about it because it didn't do well commercially. But it's Treasure Island. That's a classic story, and they did a good job updating it. We've got voices of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Jogo. Yeah. 
We love him. We already mentioned mm-hmm. him on the podcast a couple of times. He's yep. the main character, Jim Hawkins, uh, the the young rascal that we were talking about. David Hyde Pierce is in there. Emma Thompson is Captain Amelia. Oh. Uh, Martin Short plays a, 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 a crazy robot that's lost his brain that they have to help. <laughs> Wait, I lost his brain. Yep, he, he has screwed up wiring and programming, so he's oh, okay. essentially just a crazy robot <laughs> that's living in the woods and they rescue him. <laughs> um, but Rascal Lee Brown is, like I said, he's the voice of Mr. Arrow, and Mr. Arrow is essentially, uh, if you've seen Thor Ragnarok and the giant rock creature that Taiki Watiti plays, it's yeah. that with a, a, a an ad, not an admiral's, it's that guy with like a lieutenant's outfit on. Mm. So it's essentially just a giant rock creature, super imposing, Super menacing, big old square jaw. Looks like he could mess up anybody that causes a problem with the captain, but also a big sweetheart. When you, you know, when you talk yeah. to him, my my kind of favorite character. So that's why Mister A was third pick, just because he he looks like a first officer. He's the guy who's like, oh yeah, I could see how he just commands a ship with his face and and you know <laughs> and corrals the crew and makes them pay attention to the captain just by standing there and being imposing. So. It's always good when you can do stuff with your face. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Be like, I don't have to lift a finger. I have to sit here and scowl. <laughs> That's a good number three pick. Yeah. I need. guess I need to go see Treasure Planet. That's very good because for as much as it's sci-fi, apparently they had this rule where they, they called it the 70-30 rule. 70% of it would be traditional like pirates, ships, nautical stuff, and then they would add 30% of it to make it sci-fi. So that was the rule. So it is sci-fi, but it's not completely weird it's sort of measured sci-fi and done mm. very very tastefully so it's pretty cool tasteful I, I, now i want to see what untasteful sci-fi is untasteful sci-fi <laughs> pirates uh iron sky where the nazis live on the dark side of the moon that's pretty untasteful sci-fi <laughs> all right treasure planet wow missed that one oh, it's, it's good just to go catch up on it all right sleeper hit my number three is often with my number threes, they're usually fun, something I want to talk about, but yep. I'd really, but then they wouldn't be bad. So, <laughs> my number three pick is Admiral Firmus Piet. Okay. From Star Wars. He showed up in episode five, Empire Strikes Back, and episode six, Return of the Jedi. That is not one of the names I immediately recognize, but that's cool that he's in the uh, original trilogy. Once I start describing Admiral Piet, you'll know exactly who he is. Because he's important and he is a legend. In Star Wars land. Awesome. Admiral Piet is actually an Imperial officer. Nice. And he starts off as a first officer in Empire Strikes Back. He is the first officer on the Star Dreadnought Executor, which is Darth Vader's flagship. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he's under the command of Admiral Ozzel, and uh, he's the first officer. So Admiral Ozzel's the admiral, and I think Piet was a captain at the time as first officer. So if you remember, think back to Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yep. In Empire Strikes Back, it starts off with them launching the probes out of the ships, the yes. Star Destroyers and this Star Dreadnought. It's called the Dreadnought, that big one. The big old, yep. a, Some people call it Super Star Destroyer. It's actually called the Star Dreadnought. And the, that squadron that is commanded by Darth Vader is called Death Squadron. And oh, it's, okay. all, its only task was to find the Rebel base. Yep. That's why... That happens so much in Star Wars. Where's the Rebel base? Where's the Rebel? That's because you're following Darth Vader around, and that's his job. That's what he's doing. So there's crew specifically created to go find Rebels. Yeah, that's all we're doing. We ain't found crap. So the first, the I think the first time you see him is when the probe 
goes on Hoth. You recall the little probe? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Chewbacca and Han, well, they find the probes coming down. They think it's a meteor shower by the probe, and then the Mm -hmm. probe and Chewbacca blows it up and all this kind of stuff. And Piet is the one who's like, we found something. Yes. And the at his commander, Admiral Ozel, is like, eh, it wouldn't be there. <laughs> and Vader's like, I think it might be there. Gotcha. So then they head over to Hoth. Now, Admiral Ozel, because he doesn't think it'll be there and it's a waste of time, he jumps the fleet in really close to Hoth, alerting the rebels. Oh, that's, yeah, that's right. So that they can get out of there. So that's a mistake. And Darth <laughs> Vader doesn't like mistakes. And if you recall, Admiral Ozel starts getting force choked oh, yeah. for his failure. And then he looks over at Piet and goes, you, 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 can, you now take command, Admiral Piet. Instant promotion, death of his <laughs> superior, and now he's in charge of the <laughs> fleet. Not, not only is that a crazy way to get promoted, but props to Piet for like, oh, okay, I just got promoted. I'm going to face this with calm and, and composure and not freak out that somebody my the person I'm replacing just got choked to death. He actually does. There's been a lot if you guys want to look it up because I don't have t- this much time to talk about my number three pick but <laughs> look it up because there's been a lot of writing about Piet and Vader's relationship Yep. and there's been expanded stuff too in comics and books and everything because the whole deal is he's, he's, sur- he's the ultimate survivor because he actually never disappoints Vader to the point of him choking him. He never messes up? So, well, he does sort of mess up, but Vader's killed people for less. Yeah, exactly. There's this, there's the scene when, if you recall, this is also <laughs> in Empire Strikes Back, when the there's the whole Bespin thing. Yes. And Piet's troops were the ones that were down, the stormtroopers and all them, the ones that were down on Bespin. Okay. And they were supposed to disable the hyperdrive. Yep. So that they could catch it. And it's it's Vader and Piet are there on the bridge, and he's like, "We disable the hyperdrive," and they're he's ready to get the tractor beam going mm-hmm. to grab the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. But R two D two fixes the hyperdrive, <laughs> and then it it pops off. It does, and it's the scene where everyone's sitting there, and the, the actor who's uh, Kenneth Coley okay. does a great job of they do this like kind of like um, this is why Empire Strikes Back is one of the best ones ever. They I do this it. kind of like slow like pan in on him mm-hmm. just in the horror on his face of like, oh, no, I've messed up. That's not good for my neck. Yeah. And in my memory, I went and rewatched it. In my memory, he like grabs his throat a little bit, but he doesn't do that. He <laughs> acts it so well that you can tell that he's like, my throat yes. will start choking soon. And Vader like turns around and kind of looks, and then he like looks back <laughs> over his shoulder, and then he just walks off. And Piet the whole time is looking at him like, am I going to? Uh, uh, oh, he just left. Okay. So there's tons written on why Vader didn't choke him out. He spared him. Yeah. Okay. He spared him. And most of it comes with just his past record that he's always been a competent officer. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And always been true to the cause of the Empire, which is probably why he needs to be at number three, because there's probably some evil in there somewhere. <laughs> but he just might be misguided. And Piet ultimately just, spoiler alert for a movie, for he shows back up in Return of the Jedi because he was so popular and the fact that he didn't get killed in Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yeah, that's a point in his favor. And... Lucas brought him back, and he was, by that time, he was uh, the fleet admiral in charge of the entire Imperial fleet that oh. was there near the second Death Star. Yep, super upgrade. That was told to hold back. Okay. And if you recall, he's on the bridge when 
the fateful thing happens <laughs> when they blow up the deflector shield that's co- covering the bridge. Yep, yep. And they're like, the, the, they're like, sir, we lost the bridge deflector shield. And he's like, all batteries forward. And so the, all the batteries are shooting forward as kind of making a shield of lasers. That's awesome. And blasters still. <laughs> anyway. And he hits with that A-wing, and that A-wing goes kind of kamikaze. Yes, yeah. Right into the bridge, mm-hmm. and bye-bye, Piet. That's how Piet. And, <laughs> and and then we find out the whole fatal flaw of that ship is that with no, it has no redundant controls because nope. it immediately g- goes and spears into the second Death Star. <laughs> and it's like, that's all you need to do is take the bridge out on one of those things? Easy peasy. It's like a, come on. <laughs> we know from Star Trek it's good to have that secondary bridge. Right. True. Yes. Mm-hmm. Got to have. Yeah. Got to have backup measures and redundancy. So just like Wedge Antilles, I love him for being the ultimate survivor. Admiral Piet is the imperial version of that. There you go. Where this guy keeps showing up. He's the ultimate survivor. There you go. Why isn't he dead yet? Because but, he's so good. But he's so good. Yes. And even though he does die, he died doing what he loved, fighting well, the rebels. Yeah. Well, true. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, that is an awesome pick for Piet. And you didn't get choked. I mean, hey, if that's the only thing on your resume is satisfied Darth Vader and didn't cause, didn't incur Darth Vader's wrath, I mm-hmm. think that's a pretty good resume bullet point. Yeah, it's interesting. I would suggest if you're interested to read up on it, there's things about like how Vader realizes that he's not actually going for glory or some yep. someone who is just there because of his family relationships. He worked his way up to that position, so oh, he respects you. that because the old slave boy is still there somewhere. <laughs> yep, I got you. It's interesting. Uh, it's an excuse to go back and watch the original trilogy mm-hmm. and focus on that guy. That is an awesome third pick, which means we are moving on to our middle picks. Second, almost good enough, second in command of picks, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I thought of first officers, there was one name that immediately popped into my head as the first officer over other first officers, and that is William T. Riker from The Next Generation, first officer on the USS Enterprise. Number one. Number one. He's so good, that's his nickname. Not number two, not number three, number one. Make it so, number one. Uh, according to Jean-Luc Picard, who we were just impersonating lovingly, is he's simply the finest officer with whom I have ever served. And according to Beverly Crusher, another favorite on this show, says, Will Riker, he's the first officer. He's very good at poker, likes to cook, listens to jazz, plays the trombone. What's not to like? Mm-hmm. That last little tidbit is the main reason I picked him, though, because uh, we bond. I'm an old trombone player. I played trombone, and I was a band nerd for way too many years. And then to see somebody playing trombone on Star Trek, I was like, that's cool. I want to <laughs> be like that guy. So shout out to Will Riker. You're a trombone player, which is uh, essentially a shortcut for being in Mikey's good graces. <laughs> But he is the first officer on the Enterprise, selected because he is very good at what he does. Not only is he an accomplished soldier and an accomplished military man, his whole family comes from Alaska and old frontiers people from Earth, so he has a long lineage of people that know their duty and do it very well. But Riker also gets the extra development of the tactics he uses are unconventional mm-hmm. and not according. He doesn't play by the book a lot of times. He plays by Riker's book, which is I'm going to do it the way I want to do it, and it's going to work out because I'm William T. Riker, and that's how it goes. He doesn't even sit on chairs normally. He does the Riker sit. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Hopefully people have picked on it, up on it, but if you haven't, next time you're watching Jonathan Frakes, who plays Will Riker, next time you're watching Riker rock around on the bridge, 
Every time he goes to sit down, instead of like going to the side and sitting down like a normal person, he swings one leg over the back of the chair and plops down. <laughs> Almost AC Slater, Zach Morris style. He's just too cool for school. He's like, I'm going to sit my own way. I'm going to fight my own way. I'm going to do things my own way. And that's why Riker's awesome, because that that's his character through and through. He gets the job done, and he does it the best way he knows how. He also has a magical beard. Yeah, well, the first season, he had no beard, right? Exactly. And the first season, people were like, I don't know about this show. And then Star Trek came back with the second season. All of a sudden, Riker had a beard, and everybody was like, this show is awesome. <laughs> and really, the most significant change was the fact that Riker grew a beard. So Abraham, in growing a beard. Abraham Lincoln beard. Indeed. Well, I'm not saying his beard was like Abraham Lincoln. It's just saying Abraham Lincoln, when he grew his beard, he had better success politically. Oh, that, that, I didn't know that about Lincoln. That's mm-hmm. true. That's awesome. See, it works. A, a, a beard makes you more legit and more authentic. <laughs> so that's why I'm growing my beard out and playing trombone, just so I can be like Riker. <laughs> no, but, I mean, he he's a classic. He's the template I think a lot of other first officers in fiction and sci-fi are measured up against, or at least referencing. For yeah. Because he's the typical daring do, like, doesn't take no for an answer, doesn't take defeat, doesn't give up. He's just like, nope, I have a job to do, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it while looking good in this beard. So There's a lot of Captain Kirk, like young Captain Kirk and oh, Riker. very much so. They've got the ladies' man sort of persona, yeah. but they've got the confidence and the ability to back it up. Mm-hmm. It's not just showboatsmanship. Mm-hmm. That's great. And they share a middle initial. Which is apparently... Is it both Tiberius for both of them? It isn't. Why do I know? Oh, (laughs) oh my God. Sometimes my nerd levels, I just... I'm like, why do I know that? Because Tiberius is an awesome middle name. I yeah, I know. Yeah, that's um, true. It's a sad, that's probably why it's a good it's a good middle name. They haven't gone so far as to say that the T in Riker is for Tiberius, but uh, Riker had an evil twin develop because of a transporter accident. <laughs> so there's actually two Rikers out there. Did that one not have the beard or a mustache? Or he had the beard. It wasn't like a, a data thing where they used the beard to show you it was the evil one. They both had a beard, but one of them, like their attitudes changed. And so it was Thomas Riker and Will Riker. So that oh. makes you believe that the T in, in is for Thomas. Yeah. But it was also a name they came up to satisfy this weird offshoot character. Oh, such a great random story. Two Rikers, though. It's great. He's a fave character of mine for sure from Next Generation. Oh. He was great. And it was weird that first season with the weird one piece jumpsuits they had. And yep. And no, it looks like a different person. It really does. Because <laughs> he, he's so baby-faced. He's like, yeah. I don't know if I buy this Riker. That's a great, terrific pick. Wow. If that Wait, are you out? Oh, did you have to put him at two because you can't take him? Yes. I'm uh, I, I'm not filling up my next generation spot officially just yet. Oh. <laughs> foreshadow. So, yeah. So if you're smart enough, you can pick out a spoiler. <laughs> All right. Well, my number two is a number two because I can't pick her. But I would want her as my number two. There you go. That's for sure. And, and we talked about this ad nauseum. I think um, we picked almost every character from this show. Almost. <laughs> because got, it's such a good got show. Got real close. So my number two is Zoe Washburn from Firefly Serenity, the uh, second in command of the Serenity. To Mal Reynolds, uh, played by Gina Torres. So well. Of course, the cast, Joss Whedon is one of the best at casting, uh-huh. in my opinion. I got you. I've can't think of a single dud mm-hmm. he ever cast in his thing. He always picks the perfect person. Oh, that does a great job for sure. For it. So we talked a little bit about Zoe when we were talking about 
Wash, who I also couldn't pick because <laughs> Kaylee's in the engine room. Kaylee wins for me. Who's my favorite character? Uh, must be Kaylee. Yeah, because I put her in the engine room. That's the but, fun part about these, though, is is we have so many favorites. It's fun to narrow them down. Right. So Zoe is kind of a she's a very interesting character, a fun character in that I love how Joss Whedon does the you can be you can be tough, you can be strong, but you can still be feminine. So oh for sure she's this she's everything that Jane is like Jane's a mercenary and a soldier mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and she's a soldier too yeah she's always been a soldier she's tough she could like wash it and just with her pinky could break them in half <laughs> type thing um, I believe that there's I don't know if it's in one of the comics because there's comics later or if it was in a commentary but I read somewhere once saw somewhere once where. The only person that River Tam was afraid of on the ship was her. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so that shows you this. But then at the same time, she's this really loving wife. Gotcha. Who's just so in love with this goofball husband of hers. Very much so. That, you know, it's it, it's great. That's the kind of, I love how Joss Whedon writes his characters sometimes, or all the time, really. <laughs> so Zoe knew um, Malcolm Reynolds, the captain of the Serenity, since the war, they were in the unification war together. They were the rebels, yeah, uh, the brown coats as they're called. And he was a sergeant, and she was a corporal. And one of the episodes is basically everyone gets killed to a point that a sergeant is in charge, yep, of this whole unit. So she's second in command, being the corporal. <laughs> and it goes through after the Serenity Valley, they're captured, and then they're released. They're prisoners of war. They're released after the war's over. Yep. They actually went their separate ways for a little bit. She went and worked for worked. I don't know if you want to call it work. <laughs> she was basically in a terrorist organization that was trying to keep the fight going. That's a hustle, yeah. <laughs> basically. But then eventually she came back with Mal after he bought the uh, Firefly named Serenity, that he named Serenity after the Battle of Serenity Valley. Yep. And then off into the black they went. They were bonded through battle, so that, yep. that's one of those relationships that stands the test of time. So good to see them off together. So she was always she was always professional. She always deferred to Mal as the captain, the mm-hmm. only one who called him sir. Yep. And she was very proper when it came to that stuff. She was always calm and collected, and just nothing frazzled her. Yep. When it came to battle, but like I said, then she had that great soft side where she'd get silly and lovey dovey <laughs> with her goofball dinosaur playing Hawaiian shirt wearing husband. It just shows you just the fact that she married that dude oh, yeah. shows you something about her personality and just how she's <laughs> kind of awesome. Did you remember there's the, the episode where they first meet when he's getting hired to be on the ship and he has a mustache? Oh, yeah, yeah. And she's like, I don't like him. I think it's the mustache. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> it <was> just <laughs> and then he shaves it off. Yeah, and then he shaves it off. <laughs> and then she's like, okay, I like him now. But yeah, just how could you go wrong? She's super loyal. Yep. She knows, can do anything in a fight. She has a great fun personality. She's got to have a fun personality to put up with Wash. <laughs> and, you know, so here's some spoiler alerts. If you haven't seen the Serenity movie or been through this, we've talked about it so much. Yeah. I would hope you've gone to watch it because if you haven't, you're missing out. You are, for sure. So here's a spoiler. So, of course, Wash is killed in the movie because Joss Whedon likes to do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And also basically saying, I'm done and I'm doing a Marvel now. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad you liked my thing, but I'm moving on to other things. Uh, and 
But he did continue. He and his brother did the comics afterwards. There's oh, a whole okay. bunch of comics that continue the story. Yeah, I know they did that for Buffy. I didn't know they did that for Firefly. They That's did awesome. it for Firefly. And I don't know if you know this, but in the comics, she's pregnant. Oh, I didn't know that. So there's a little baby washburn. A little leaf on the wind. I yeah. want to watch how it soars. That's great. And um, apparently it hasn't even, this is like in the current comics right now. Oh, okay. So that's like happening now. It's ongoing. Something so, for me to check out. Yeah, so that's that's really cool. So then that makes me think it's like maybe in the future he'll do like the next generation yes. of Firefly. Would that be cool? Oh, like a nostalgia great. thing? Once once the nostalgia of that comes back. And it's we've had that that's been set up in comic books where like the next generation takes up the mantle. Mm-hmm. I would see Firefly Generation 2 for sure. Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be so neat. Joss Whedon listened to me do that. So <laughs> So Zoe Washburn, I would have taken her if I could have, but I can't. Ah, them's the breaks. we make the rules. The arbitrary rules around here. We we make them and we abide by them. (laughs) But that is an excellent, excellent second pick. I'm with you. I do like that archetype. They do a similar archetype in The Expanse, which is the show I've been talking about recently, but Naomi is very much a Zoe Washburn type character, Mm -hmm. and it's always a lot of fun to watch. Instead of just the, the woman on a spaceship who's like, I don't know what to do. Monsters are scary. Or it's just the opposite of just like, I'm super tough, so yeah. I have no emotions. Yeah. I have to be cold all the time yeah. in order to be effective. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to be. People are complex. Mm-hmm. And Zoe Washburn is an excellently complex character. All right. So now we're on to number one. So I want to see what Mikey's number one is. Number one. I'm oh, excited. this was almost so easy. It was easy really? to pick Riker. Yes. And the, well, it was easy because I don't know. It didn't seem like there were too many options for second in command. This was one of those categories where like I, my brain wasn't flooded with immediate. It's true. I it's had true. to go. It's like, usually it's usually captains. Yeah. And then you have to think hard if there was anyone who was second command on said ship. Yeah. So oh. the captain on this ship that I'm about to talk about doesn't have the official rank of captain, but he is the captain of the ship. He's the captain of the Millennium Falcon, <gasps> and that's Han Solo, which means that his second in command, his first officer, is Chewbacca. Oh! The Wookiee from Kashyyyk, also known Chewbacca. as Chewie. Now, I would almost be like, you can't take Chewbacca out of the Millennium Falcon, but he's like hundreds of years old. He is. So he could easily be on any ship at any time in his history. Yep. And every time you hear about Chewbacca, every time Chewbacca shows up, he's nothing but he's he's there when you need him. He's the second in command that you can rely on. He's there for a hug. He's there for a blaster attack. He's there for defense. He's got your six. And he does all that without saying any words. He says some words, but they're just growls and noises. And he and those are words in in Wookalish Wookie. Wook, how do you say that? I don't even know how to say it. Wookalish. That sounds about right. I don't think that's right. Wookiees? No, there's a name for that language. Shiriwook. Shiriwook? That sounds right. You're the you're the resident expert, so we're gonna take we're gonna take what you say. Otherwise, the corrections department. Will I want you me. to I want you to look it up now to see if, okay. if and and I want points. I want Chris Hardwick style points. Google says Shiriwook. <laughs> the Wookiee language is Shiriwook. S H Y R I I W O O K. Oh my gosh. Wookiees are capable of understanding English, but cannot speak it. I know what the Wookiee language is called, but if you ask me who like the Secretary <laughs> of State is, I wouldn't I probably wouldn't know. It's different priorities, man. It's important that you know the Wookiee language in case you ever meet Chewbacca because he's gonna be on my team, so the That's chances true. of you guys meeting yeah. are now elevated. And now we know his language. <laughs> but that is a point in Chewbacca's favor is because he doesn't have English words or 
dialogue in most of the movies, the things that he does convey, he does convey messages with his his, his shiri wook, <laughs> but they're always concise to the point, and it always mm. seems exact. It always seems to be exactly what that person needs to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can always surmise, oh, he told that person off because they were being dumb, and they probably did, or he told that person to quit worrying because they needed to stop worrying. You know, you can fill in what Chewbacca said and probably be right because Chewbacca is that kind of person. He says what needs to be said. So it comes with hundreds of years of experience. And and that's what you want in a second in command. Uh, Picard chose Riker because he was the type of first officer that he knew would stand up to him if the situation called for it. Han Solo knows he can trust Chewie because Chewie won't, you know, he won't brick for any sort of tomfoolery he's like we have jobs to do we have a duty to fill you know i know you're a a a smuggler extraordinaire and a cavalier sort of action man but we got a job to do Mm -hmm. and he i mean you were saying it he's hundreds of years old he's come from persecution and war and being locked up and imprisoned and being rescued and just seems to find his way no, no matter what situation he's in and always seems to do best for him and the people he's with, regardless of that situation. So it's sort of those 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 characters that stand the test of time and can overcome the obstacles that are put in front of them. So, Chewie, I love you. I, I, I want a Wookiee hug. I, we, we have an intro that says we are taking naps in a Wookiee's lap. Uh-huh. <laughs> I want all those things because he seems like the awesome second-in-command best friend to have on your back and in your ship. He is, and a lot of people are wondering why old Chewbacca would pick young Han Solo to hang around with and stuff. Yep. But it's the stuff that you said. He's looking to stick it to the Empire. Exactly. Because of the oppression put on his... And he sees the talent in this kid Mm -hmm. who we know is going to become great. And he was right. Exactly. So you can't second guess, why would he hang around with this? (laughs) Because he was right. This guy ended up becoming a general in the rebellion. So his hundreds of viewers of experience... Yep. And intuition... Yep. Yep. It's great. Also, another reason why Solo is better than a lot of the other new Star Wars movie. Hashtag ice cream. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's, 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 it's really good. And there's so many people who see Solo who had kind of avoided it because they were angry. Yep. And then they see it later because it's on cable or whatever. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. I was wrong about this yep. movie. All worth it just for the, the Wookiee time you get. Yep. All right. Oh, so good. <laughs> there you go. They're speaking Shiriwook. I don't know what he said. <laughs> I don't I don't know like Han Solo does. It was short and concise. All right. My number one. I'm going back to a show I talked about a little bit before. Dun, dun, dun. And actually, in general, this is a character that's been in existence for a long time. Yeah. But I was introduced to it in the specific show that we'll talk about it a little bit. So <laughs> my number one pick, my first officer on the Norma DSR-1, I picked Colonel Wilma Deering. Wilma Deering? From Buck Rogers. Hell yeah. The flavor I'm picking is the Buck Rogers television show slash movie that came out as a pilot before it. Buck Rogers in the 25th century. There you go. And Erin Gray, the model and actress, played Wilma Deering beautifully. Oh. The movie in the first season and then the second season stuff went wonky, <laughs> as we've talked about before with <laughs> but, uh, when we're talking about Tweaky. But emphasis on beautifully. She's a stunner. So the interesting thing, yeah, that skin-tight jumpsuit that she wore through the first <laughs> season, I I think that was a fuel for a lot of teenage boys in the late 70s, early 80s. There you go. I wasn't there yet. I was just a little kid and enjoying space show. <laughs> space show. Um, so Wilma Deering, Colonel Wilma Deering's existed since Buck Rogers first started in the 1920s, I think is when the story was first written as uh, in comics. 
it might have been a book and then comics and then it was a one serial. Those, yeah, one of those pulp serial kind of things. Yeah. And from the jump, uh, Wilma Deering was shown to be strong and beautiful, which is an interesting thing to think in the early 20th century. Oh, yeah, especially for the time, like you're saying. Right. And a colonel, too. So it was real interesting that that was in there because what happened, one of the sad things that happened is when they made it into the the movie serials that went before movies, you know, they used to have, like, before the movies. People spent all day at the movies back oh, yeah, in yeah. the 30s and 40s and, they would, and they, stuff. Yeah, the cartoons and in between the cartoons, and all that. Three yeah. Stooges, all that kind of stuff. So there was a Buck Rogers serial that they used to show. Okay. And they made Wilma Deering a captain instead of a colonel, and she was more in distress and stuff, and that's not how she was. But at the same time, newspapers had Buck Rogers in it, and mm-hmm. she was a colonel in there. Okay. And her strong yet beautiful self. Gotcha. So it's really it's, uh, whatever. A, a, a little bit of a victim of the Hollywood. She's a damsel. We gotta we gotta right. beauty her up and tone her down a little. Right. Bit. But the way Aaron Gray played it in the movie in the first season was much more like how Wilma Daring is supposed to be. Awesome. So she's a colonel of the United Planets Space Force. Nice. And there's a title. Yeah. The the t- the. The, the show version, we'll just call it the show version or the 70s version of Buck Rogers, it was set in a post-apocalyptic Earth. They had had a nuclear war yeah, yeah. that had devastated everything. Mm-hmm. And there was these little bastions of cities that were still left. The survivors and all yeah, that. Yeah, and they were led by a council of AIs, basically, because humans couldn't be trusted anymore. <laughs> this is how, how it was. It's real interesting. People sleep on it because it was kind of a goofy show and the second season went all wonky because the writer's strike happened and they got different writers that's in. That's right, that's right. Then yeah. they, tried to, they were trying to make it more like Star Trek and less like what it was yep. and it just didn't make it and it, it was weird and they brought that hawk guy in and then they turned <laughs> Wilma Deering into an air stewardess basically and it was just... Yeah, It was silly. But the first season is great. She's has this dominant personality. She's fearless and she kind of finds Buck annoying at first and distrusts his story. His story is like, oh yeah, yeah. She's, she's a pilot, she's a military officer, and she's all of that. And they find the, it's a space shuttle that he's in, like one of our space shuttles. Okay. Um, and he got frozen in it and then is in the 25th century, and they find, find him there. Uh, original Buck Rogers, who's actually frozen in a cave. Yeah, I remember, okay. And then, but this one, he's in space. Okay. In a spaceship, a shuttle. And so she's she's one of the ones who finds it, and she doesn't believe his story. She thinks that he's sent by the there's an evil empire, and she thinks that he's a spy or he's a, a mole. Spy. Yeah, okay. yeah. And she just she doesn't buy it for a minute because she's a smart woman. Exactly. Really, you've been frozen since the 20th century. I don't think so. <laughs> so she's kind of aloof at first, and a lot of people see it as. And again, I wish people would just take a better look of what's going on because as the series goes on, she starts to warm up when she starts to realize that Buck actually is this doofus from the 20th century I get, who, yeah, I got you. who doesn't get what's going on because he's been frozen. <laughs> he's not really a doofus. He just doesn't... He's like Captain America. He's he's yeah. wholesome and innocent and pure. Yeah, Exactly. He's kind of Space Captain America, there really, you go. is what Buck Rogers is. So as, as the series goes on, you know, she warms up, you get to know her, but she continues to dazzle as a pilot and a fighter and it's great because in the series, a lot of times she comes to the rescue of Buck as opposed to the other way around a lot of times. That's awesome. So, and you know, a lot of it has to do with just Buck doesn't get all the technology. He's not 
of this world. Yeah, he's still a fish out of water yeah. for a lot of his development. So it's real interesting, too, because Aaron Gray, the actress who played it, said that she's some um, women have told her that her role as Colonel Deering inspired a lot of women to go into the Air Force. Oh, right. And become pilots and That's stuff. awesome. So because if you remember the Buck Rogers, the, the way they did their helmets and everything in the ships, it was very, like, it looked very... They didn't change the helmet much different than an actual oh yeah yeah the fighter helmet fighter helmet yep because they were pulling from Star Wars basically <laughs> and they had a cheap probably a cheap costume budget so they yeah. had to reuse stuff that actually came yeah. from real well life. they had a good budget for skin tight jumpsuits and the thing was too is that that's what people talk about a lot and and she got it because she was she's like I'm a model I understand but if you go back and watch it everyone was wearing skin tight stuff because it was that kind of space jumpsuit thing they were going for she just looked really great in it oh for sure so I think that's why it stuck out but yeah. But tons of characters are like that, and it's the 70s. I mean, even Buck Rogers' pants are, like, way too tight. And I think in sci-fi in general, that's just a default. Like, things in the future will have less buttons, less zippers, and be <laughs> more streamlined, and that means everybody's just wearing one piece of clothing. So she's, she was once described as Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was on at the same time. Yep. Wonder Woman with brains. Ooh. Which is, to me, is like a knock on that. That Wonder Woman show, to me, was... The, you're talking about the Linda Carter one. Yeah. yeah. I don't really... So, I don't know. TV TV critic trying to get uh, get noticed. I don't know. Well, I, I haven't seen a lot of the old woman Wonder Woman shows, but I can imagine there's like the typical foil of like she makes an airheaded woman decision, and therefore that's the crux of the episode. So maybe that was less maybe. so. They never that. And from what I remember, and I went back and uh, saw some of the was watching Buck Rogers episodes. Yep. Uh, to do some research because you can find it on Vimeo, I think. Nice. They do that funny thing where they flip it backwards so it's legal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it took I me, remember that coming in from the left. Oh, wait. It took me a while to notice that it, w- it was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> because you know when I noticed it? Buck Rogers shook hands with someone and he shook the left hand. And I was like, is that how they do in the 25th <laughs> century? Does the left hand shake now? Is that... You watched Bizarro Buck Rogers. Yeah, well, it wasn't until the end when I saw the credits come up and I was like, oh, everything's backwards. No, that was just a Russian crew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I suggest if, if you haven't if you haven't seen it in a long time, go back and watch it. And our caveat always, put yourself in the mind of it's 1979. Yep. And this is what I'm seeing. And I think it'll actually be surprising at how well it holds up and you have it's funny one of the i told you when i was watching one of the things one of the things that buck rogers says and you i had a like i knew what it was because i'm old yep but he goes he goes there must he goes there must be something wrong with your funkin wagnalls if you think that's true <laughs> what's a funkin wagnalls funkin wagnalls is an encyclopedia set oh yeah but it's funny because <laughs> it's right for him to say that because yes. he's from then but it's a funny how they kind of got around swearing yep <laughs> it's like on the good place now they say shirt and all that stuff yeah yep. but now i want to use that now funkin wagnalls because no one, one knows what it is nope and it still sounds scandalous yeah <laughs> so wilma deering aaron gray beautiful tough strong second in command she's an imposing force there's a scene it's a commonly shown scene as it's in the trailer uh-huh. where i i buck kind of runs away i think or is he going after tw- i forget Buck went out into the apocalyptic world. Buck pulls a buck, yep. Which is pretty awesome because it's like a blown, it's like nuclear waste of this fallout looking yeah, yeah. stuff. So she has to come out there and rescue him. Uh-huh. And she, they're on this cool transport vessel that comes out. And like all the troops come out and she comes walking out and she's just, it's just cool. And you can just tell she's in command. Yep. 
just the way she comes walking out, like I've been under fire, like all her troops were kind of like doing that thing where they're kind of taking cover uh-huh. and being careful. And she just walks out. She's got that confidence, badass yeah, swagger. Right. And it's just that right there. I want that as second <laughs> in command. That, that, just that, everyone else is taking cover and worried about an incoming fire. And she's just like, what's the situation? Yeah. What are we doing here? All right, let's get it done. Yeah. I dig Great. It. That, that's exactly the attitude you want for your second in command, first yes. officers. It is. So those are our first officers. So real quick, my ship is the Normandy SR-1. My pilot is Tally Lintra. Ooh, yeah. My engineer is Kaylee Fry. My security officer is Samus Oran from Metroid. Metroid. And my doctor is Lexi Tapero from the latest Mass Effect. My robot is Muffet 2 <laughs> from the original Battlestar. My living extra is Princess Leia Organa. Yeah. And my first officer is now Colonel Wilma Deering. There you go. Deering is a great, great pick for first officer. Uh, since you're giving your crew, I can I can run down my crew. We we said it was the USS Voyagers, the ship being piloted by Rocket Raccoon, backed up on guns and science by Amos Burton from The Expanse. Things are being watched over and kept in check by Odo from DS9 as my security officer. My doctor is only a doctor and he's not a Vulcan. Damn it, Jim. It's Bones, Carl Urban, variant from uh, the new Star Trek stuff. My robot is Baymax from mm-hmm. BH6, so I can be satisfied with my care. My living extra is River Tam. Doesn't say much. Kicks a lot of butt. And then my first officer is, of course, Chewbacca, doling out the Shiri Wook and the hugs and the uh, crossbow blasters. Yes. And next week we're going to pick our captain. Yes. So that'll be super fun. I wonder where our Funkin' Wagnall pizza is, though. <laughs> yeah, Did where I use is right? our Funkin' Wagnall pizza? Well, we haven't been ordering pizzas because I've been on a diet. Oh, yeah. We're being good. But we found a nice cauliflower crust pizza Ooh. That's that I can eat. So it'll be delicious. <laughs> so we want you guys to enjoy pizza, and we want you to let us know who you want to be on your crew. Yes. Pick your ship. Give us your crew. You can let us know on the social medias, at AssumingPod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, you can also send us a letter, assumingpositions at gmail.com. Dot com. Uh, we want to thank some folks. We want to thank that guy, Brad, for our announcing. We want to thank Not Scott Productions for our equipment. Uh, we want to thank Jazzar for our music. We want to thank the local game store in Richardson for being the place we go game. Yeah. And we want to thank you for listening. Go pick a first officer. Number one, engage. Choo-choo, there it goes.